let's just jump in. I got a, got a good page of questions and we'll trickle through them. <laughs> Sounds um, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that means you have to do the intro. I got to do the intro. That's right. All right. So welcome back to Bonsai Wire Podcast. Uh, today we're interviewing, I'm interviewing Jonas Dupuy. Um, and uh, I'm Michael Hagedorn, and both of us wrote books this year, and today we'll be talking about Jonas's book, The Little Book of Bonsai. Um, and it, so it was published uh, earlier this year, this is 2020, for those of you listening to this years hence. Um, and uh, before we start talking on the book, though, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the writing you've previously been famous for. Uh, which is your blog. Tell us, uh, in particular, tell us the story about getting the name for Bonsai Tonight. Ah, uh, the Bonsai Tonight blog. This would go back 15, 16 years probably when a bunch of us were hanging out at a workshop at Boone's house. And it was, let's see, Howard Smith, Andy Rutledge, Marco Invernizzi, and I were all hanging out at Boone's and we were talking about making a satire bonsai site. And we thought it would be funny to share nothing but the horrible bonsai gossip and stories of just some of the really crazy things that would go on. And it would be the TMZ of bonsai. And we were trying to come up with all these different names. And then at some point someone said, yeah, like uh, bonsai tonight. And as soon as I heard the phrase, I think I just ignored everyone, ran into Boone's house, sat down at his computer and bought the domain. Because <laughs> it sounded like a good idea. Oh, and I don't remember who said it. Uh, Howard's recollection was that it was Andy Rutledge, and that's very likely, but it could have been Marco. I yes, don't that remember. Is right. That is likely. I want to oh. believe it's me, but anyone who knows Andy would know that that's a very yes. good guess. <laughs> And, uh, whoop, and so whoop. the idea was that it was going to be this snarky site. And we actually took a bunch of pictures. We have funny pictures, very incriminating photos of people at one of Boone's shows years ago. And it was many years later when I uh, actually started the site, which was its own funny side story. Oh, yeah. So, so at the time, so as you say, this is about 15, 16 years ago, it was uh, that the, the bonsai world was very familiar with the periodical Bonsai Today. That's right. Uh, so this was, uh, yes, this was going to be the ironic um, evening entertainment. <laughs> well, and what's funny is, uh, so in the intervening years, I had started a blog where I worked for one of the publishers I worked for. And so in my free time, I was writing articles about institutional repositories of all things, these websites that were set up to show off the scholarly mm -hmm. assets of at universities and researchers and when the company found out about it they made me take it down and that didn't feel great and so i said well okay then i'll spend my free time writing about bonsai instead <laughs> oh gosh so so then when did you start thinking about writing a book that was probably it had been on my mind for a lot of years but it was probably four years ago I actually started doing it. And what I would do is um, I would actually, I started writing what became the second chapter while I was taking the bus to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think back in 2016, something like that, I'd actually proactively started writing. 
after mm -hmm. years. And I'd always wanted to do a pine book or another more involved technique book, but I thought I keep answering the same questions on mm. the blog about bonsai basics. And so I really wanted mm. to write something that could be a resource. How do I keep my tree healthy? How do I water it? Where do I put it in the garden? Super basic stuff so that people could keep their trees alive and healthy. Then you can do the fun stuff. Yeah. So the little book of bonsai, what, um, what needle were you trying to thread? I mean, there, there's been many intro books that have been written, but this one feels different. Oh, I'd be curious what feels different about it. Yeah, I could, I could get to a, a couple of ideas. Uh, um, I, I had another question <laughs> for you, but I think for me, it, it feels like um, there are... Um, the, the, the world is full, the, the, the book world is full of these uh, sort of crafty how-tos. They're cleverly designed, they're a bit visually exhausting. Mm. And this book eludes those traps. Um, and I was wondering if you could, you could talk about that. So, so it's sort of a two-part question, two-prong. I mean, one is how did, how did you or the publisher avoid this, uh, this thing that the how-tos tend to fall into? And then for the bonsai community specifically, uh, the, the bonsai book uh, history, it, it does feel like there's a different needle that, that's being threaded here. So I'd say that's owing to a couple different things. The first of which is just being a book loving person. I had for years before that been buying every other bonsai book I could get my hands on, especially bonsai beginner books and actually reading them. And what I found is there were a couple patterns that most of the beginning books fell into. And one of them was, as you described, the crafty how-to book. And it boiled bonsai down to a bunch of really straightforward recipes. And I thought that does very little to help anyone actually keep their trees alive or care for anything. It just makes it seem like a nuts and bolts. And then you cut the branch and then you put it in the pot and then you have a bonsai. The other trap that or, or I should say kind of type of content that fills most bonsai books is uh, species guides. And there's right, nothing easier right. to write than a dictionary of species guides. And here's mm -hmm. a page about redwoods. And here's a page about maples. And we love spruce. Here's a page about spruce. And the average bonsai yeah. person is not in a club. The average bonsai person is someone who has one or two trees or is thinking about getting one or two trees. And the other 50 to 100 species are just fun to see, but it won't really help them do anything or make anything of their trees. Mm. The other thing yeah, was, that's I an really interesting wanted... point. And, and you, uh, you kind of um, dive past that slightly in the book that you've written by dividing, uh, you know, the deciduous conifer, broadleaf evergreen and tropical. And so you kind of touch on it. Um, uh, uh, but but it's not heavily species sort of fragmented into those, into those, those groups. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting in that um, there were kind of lots of things like that, that came up mm -hmm. along the way. The other thing which really was hard for me when reading all these other books is there were very few books that suggested the richness that bonsai can provide. And so I wanted to make sure that, book had beautiful pictures of trees and suggested more 
of what a more active participant in bonsai could do. So I wanted to suggest, oh, trees mm. can be things other than sticks and pots. Uh, we do things like display, mm. there are accent plants, there are gardens, and I really wanted to help people get to the next step. And that's why the entire last chapter ended up being um, really just next steps. Where do we go from here? What if I want to find a tree or find a teacher or visit a garden and help them transition into that more interested and actively engaged um, participation with little trees? I was, I was amazed at uh, the reach that you were able to, uh, to, uh, to get out of this book that's 105 pages long and you get all the way to display and all the way to multiple pages about where to go next, like you just described. Uh, for those who, uh, you know, might be past or, or from the, you know, the gifts of the book have moved, you know, toward the intermediate. Uh, when, when I first uh, saw, uh, I was uh, uh, privileged to be part of the early draft of this, uh, this book. Um, and, and my initial impression is that it was uh, sort of an introductory book, um, maybe more exactly. than a beginner book because it, it just, uh, it, it felt like it had greater range. And I was, I was incredibly impressed by that, you know, the conciseness of it and then you were able to pack all that in was, um, was, was that by your design or was the, the publisher, um, giving you a, a hook to hang your hat on? You've got 105 pages to write this or <laughs> what, um, what was that? So the publisher definitely set the page count. Um, they said mm -hmm. right off, they gave me a sample book and said, this is going to be the size and it'll be 112 pages, something like that. And mm. just because they know printing wise, they're designing right. kind of a package, but a hundred percent of the content, give or take was all me. And so this is kind of the other thing I think that made it different is the whole process of how the book came to be, which was the initial conversation with the publisher when they reached out to me and asked if I could give them, if I, I was interested, first of all, in working with them, and if I wanted to submit a proposal. And the book proposal is actually where all of this got started. Hmm. Hmm. And what's funny is even though they invited me to submit a proposal, I still had to go through the same process as if I was approaching them up front. And the proposal is a really useful document where in addition to providing a table of contents and a writing sample, uh, most of the proposal is filled with what bonsai books are out there, what's different about this book, what needs or opportunities exist, what is the target audience, and mm -hmm. what are the alternatives to buying a book that people are, that you're kind of competing with. And so it allowed me to look at the other bonsai books critically. It allowed me to acknowledge that YouTube and online courses were a great alternative to books these days, as well as in-person interactions. Mm. And um, I think the table of contents I submitted in the proposal four years ago was precisely what we ended up with. Mm. Six chapters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so in the before the production phase of the book, you know, in the in the in the imagination phase, it, it it's really very clear that the publisher is thinking about what needle it is you're trying to thread uh, or that you're trying to thread together. The way they look at it is in terms of market fit. And so they're mm -hmm. saying, if you're going to write a book, right. there's any number of great books that could be written. What they want to know is, is there a market for that book? And right. so they say, who are you writing to? And it's funny. We both 
came up with a lot of the same ideas. They pretty much wanted me to write the book that I'd already planned on writing. And they wanted a book where the audience was far younger than the average bonsai crowd and far more female than the average crowd. Hmm. Oh, wow. And so they, what's funny they is they are interesting. Oh, like we were actually wow. very specific about the age and the demographics and the geographical spread. Like we, we looked at some really specific things and I actually had to come up with wow. numbers and samples and it, it, it was a fairly good marketing exercise. Wow. So I could mean, you give us one or two examples of how that would play out in terms of age or, or gender? Well, so one of the best ways is, and they solve a lot of this by um, the designer they hired. The designer they hired was a young woman for the book. And she was fantastic. And the just decisions about how many photographs there were going to be is a big part of it. This is not a text heavy book with a couple of kind of stock small images, like in those how to books where you get these little thumbnails. Um, we wanted to make sure that it was a very light and friendly feeling. We wanted to have a lot of lush images with nice backgrounds and far less of the sterile or dry, everything on a white background, everything shot at the same level um, photography that we see in most bonsai books. Mm. Did, how engaged were you with the photography? I assume you, you, you chose the subjects? So yeah, the photography I was very engaged with, and that's mm. where one of the many, many strokes of luck, probably the greatest luck I had in this whole project was getting to work with the editor. And that's when I started learning a lot about what editors do. Um, she pretty much made this book. Uh, Lisa Regal's her name, and she's an absolutely fantastic person and editor, not only from the text perspective, but in terms of coming up with kind of what the whole package will be. And she's the one that connected me to the photographer we ended up using. In mm. terms of what the pictures were, I actually had to submit a shot of all the photo or a list of all the photos for the whole book far before I wrote the book, which is not oh, easy. Wow. Oh gosh, yeah. that's interesting. So, I, I that's uh, you know I was thinking I don't know why I was musing about this, but but movies, you know, what comes first, the the the, the filming or the or the music or you know. <laughs> Music's last, yeah. Bit, yeah, yeah. I, that was what I came to. I didn't know the answer to that, but that was like, yeah, I think you would have to do it that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but anyway, um, so that feels a little backwards to me, but does that help the, uh, the book uh, team? It's funny. I it signed way? a contract for the book in March, and the uh, draft was due in December of the same year. And within, I think, four weeks of, submit, of signing the contract, I had to provide a shot list of the entire book. So I spent, luckily, the book just kind of, I knew what I wanted to write. And so I pretty much had to come up with a fairly detailed idea of what topics I was going to cover. And that's what led to the photos. But of course, it was the specifics yes. and the details that made it really hard. And we ended up doing eight, nine or 10 different photo shoots in mm. all together. I think it was three locations, most of them in my garden. And yeah, it was really tricky to come up. So I was in charge of everything that goes into the photos. And so I had to choose the trees, choose the subject matter, the treatment for it. And then the photographer, I let the photographer, David Fenton, who's a wonderful guy and a fantastic photographer, 
he got to completely make the shots. Lucky for me, I got to serve as his photo assistant. And so uh, I got to help set question. up everything. I learned great. a ton from yeah. him. Oh, and uh, yeah. oh, we got along great. It was I had a blast doing the photography, but that was probably one of the most stressful parts of creating the whole book was uh, were the photo shoots. Do you have any any tips for us amateur uh, photographers out there uh, uh, for photographing bonsai? Yeah, the first tip is really, it's, yeah, the, it's really simple. Hold the camera about one third of the way up between the top of the pot and the top of the tree, which okay. is the level from which we're viewing trees. If you hold the uh -huh. camera there and get far enough away from the tree, it bigger the tree, the further away you want to get, and just have a relatively quiet background, not a lot of busy shadows or busy things. So any, doesn't even matter the color, but so a blankish background and hold the camera at the right level, that's two thirds of it. I see. Yeah. And how many light sources uh, was your photography using? Was there a hair light? Was there a third light in there? Oh, this was great. We had in a very precise number of lights for 100% of the shots in the book. And that was the sun. Oh, wow. You used a lot. Oh my gosh. Did he, did he, did he use any secondary lighting? Uh, we used, um, other than me holding a reflector, no. Oh, reflector. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. So uh, yeah, as I'm yeah. looking through the book, even the ones with the dark backgrounds that have like the really dramatic pictures of me holding a wire or the dark background shots, yeah, 100% oh, yeah. of the shots in the book, uh, there are zero electric oh. lights. And so I learned a lot about how to use the sun. So we the setup was quite involved for these shots, but... We used these giant scrims that we shot right. through and we actually reoriented the set throughout the day during photo shoots so we could get the relatively oh, is, consistent uh, light across the months over which we shot it. Fascinating uh, info. And it, it, in your area, you can kind of count on it, it. At least most days, you can kind of predict what you're going to have and that it'll be there for a while. I remember... Um, uh, this is now the second time we're talking about movies, but I remember mm -hmm. <laughs> reading something about the the shooting of the Princess Bride, and they, they oh. were somewhere in somewhere in the the, uh, uh, the United Kingdom, and they and, you know they were sitting down for hours chatting, you know, waiting for the the lighting to change so that they could actually shoot a particular scene. I imagine you didn't have many days like that with your photography. Yeah, the main uh, variability is whether there was sun or cloud. And so we would kind of shoot yeah. different things like that. But mm -hmm. it's so interesting coming up with the photos for this. You think, oh, you know, I take photos of trees all the time. That's a big part of what I do. And when right. you do a book, right. it's like, oh, um, Jonas, do you have a show-ready semi-cascade tree next week? <laughs> Like if That's I asked you, Michael, problem. could you give me a formal upright yeah. bonsai for uh, right. a book that you want to, you know, you, you'll be happy with this image for the next 10 right. years. Uh, right. Oh, gosh. You have that in one, show shape you know? at right. any random time of year next week. Right. That is a challenge. That's a real challenge. Yeah. And, and you know, the blog work that, that you do in your photography, you can you can pick the thing that that is most interesting that week you know <laughs> that's what i do and you can yeah, get as deep right. as you want on that one topic trying right. to go general 
and have great wow. photography is uh, quite a different task. And I relied on so many friends for this. I think uh, eight people and the local bonsai garden at Lake Merritt all very graciously provided mm. trees for me to use. And so oh, I was sorry. constantly trying to figure out people's schedules. When could I go to their house, pick up a tree, bring it back, make sure it was totally show ready, get the pot ready. And then I'm helping the photographer at the same time. So it would often take one or two days prep time for every photo shoot, then a full day for the shoot. And then usually a day of other stuff after the shoot. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, I, I, I want to dip back a little bit more into the content of the book. Um, huh? uh, going back to a comment you made uh, about uh, how much you, you wanted to um, focus on, on, uh, on care of the tree. Um, and uh, you have seven pages on pests and diseases, nine on watering, fully one-sixth of the pages <laughs> on these kind of non-idyllic parts of bonsai. And, you, you know, you obviously, even in your blog and, and now in your book, you care about the success of, of particularly newcomers by placing those topics front and center. I, I, was, uh, I was really delighted to see that because that's one of the things that I see in, in my students too is that they, they don't really want to talk about that. <laughs> but you kind of have to, have to force the issue and, and, you, and you did a beautiful job in the book. And those are two funny examples because... Uh, we were trying to, that was definitely threading the needle. You want people to be successful, but you don't want to be scary, but you don't want to kid them either. And oh, so, yeah, yeah, the, right. <laughs> another yeah, way. So just as hard easy. as it is to say, oh, you know, find me an informal upright XYZ type of tree. Uh, like, Michael, could you give me a show ready decision or a broadleaf, uh, a tropical? Ah, there you go. Show me an informal upright <laughs> tropical show ready tomorrow. Can you do that? That's a tough Gosh. one. And so I, for I care, yeah. <laughs> for the watering, it's like, okay, this is someone who's, our target audience was someone with either zero or one trees. They're either thinking about buying a bonsai, they're buying it a gift for someone right. that may have one bonsai, but that's the target audience. Okay. And okay. Then I think you nailed it because that was my impression of it. Even, even in the, in the draft phase, it, it came yeah. loud and clear that this was a very concise book that wouldn't overload somebody. Um, and you know that, I mean, it's an incredibly clean feeling book The the images and the text are highly curated and they focus attention with almost no sort of chaff information or words or images or any of the stuff that I was talking about with these sort of cute, uh, craftsy, uh, how to books. <laughs> I think, Which think so it's a really, really well-produced book. It's beautiful. Oh, thanks. The uh, pests, that was all the editor. Mm. And so the editor worked in 18, had worked at the time for 18 years as a garden editor and she knew a lot. And so oh, you're kidding. she actually, oh yeah, she knows gardening cold and she knows the garden book industry very, very oh, wow. well. And she's produced a lot of successful titles over the year, which is awesome. Oh, and, yeah. um, and the publisher is a division. 10 Speed Press is a division of Penguin Random House. So they had kind of unlimited resources and quality people that they deal with. But she wanted me to do the garden and pest part. I'd actually written far, far less. And she thought, well, can you give people tips for what are they most likely to encounter? And what are the, and so I, I did that. And then I had to do another draft. It's like, well, what are some simple things you can do about that? And it's like, okay, this is someone who's never gardened before. They might live in Alaska. They might live in Florida. I have to make sure that the cultural care can apply to someone at anywhere in the country. 
and really start to explain it from the perspective of someone who really has never had to care for and nurture a small tree in a container. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a, um, a big umbrella, um, especially climatic differences. Um, that's, a, that's a super challenge, um, super, super challenge. Um, I, uh, I'm curious, um, did, did you have any unexpected challenges um, when you were when you're writing, I, either with the writing or or with uh, with uh, production of the book? This is your first book, right? Yeah, Just, yeah. I don't know if any of it wasn't an unexpected challenge. So at the time when I started writing it, <laughs> I had been, you know, several years into uh, doing bonsai work full time and had. Really, I didn't know where free minutes in the day would come from to work on the book. And interesting, as a coincidence would have it, the day I signed the contract for the book was the day I pulled a permit to build my workshop out back. And so I pretty much had to start waking up at 5 or 5.30 in the morning and working on the book for a couple hours before going into my normal you know, 10, 12, 15-hour days that I was working at the time. And... So it was just challenging to physically do it. And I knew it would be hard to write it, but it ended up being much, much harder than I expected to write because I did that same day, actually, oh. I published my 900th blog post. <laughs> so I can't say that I was a stranger to writing about bonsai, but blog no. posts, which are not super easy, are a hundred times easier than writing a resource like this for a different audience at a different level. Um, so yeah, 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 just finding time to write was hard. Mm-hmm. Finding the ability mm-hmm. to write in a general fashion was hard. Trying to just find the trees or the time to prep the trees at any time of the year was challenging. And if I could do it all over, probably the biggest thing I wish I'd done differently is I wish I had a complete draft of the book done a year ahead of time. I wish I could have given it to more people ahead of time and then could have been deeper into the drafting before I started working with the editor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How long did the project take in all once you had Let's started? See. So if I signed the contract in March of 2018, turned in the first draft in December of 2018, it wasn't published until uh, January of 2020. So there was over a year of production after that first draft mm. was due. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there was maybe five, six, four, five, six months of intense drafting. And, and I threw away close to 100% of the words in a few of the chapters, chapters and had to do it again and again. The first chapter was particularly tough. And, uh, and then we were doing the photo shoots during that time. The production work yeah, itself wasn't yeah. bad. The layout and monkeying around and the captions, that was a lot of work, but it wasn't as trying. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So are, um, you, you're, you're really well known for your concise use of language. Um, do you do much editing? I, when, when I hear you speak and when I read your blog or read your book, it it feels like it's real close to maybe what it was the first time you put your, your pen to paper or, or or were tapping on the on the keyboard. What what is writing like for you? Oh, that's a fun question. I've been interested in writing as a pastime, as a profession, 
and as uh, whatever else it can be in life, or just a student of learning of how it works for a really long time. I remember I took a ski trip in fifth grade and ended up writing a probably 25, 30 page version of this one day ski trip at what, 11 years old or whatever I was. And that was just for fun. I don't even know if I did wow. that for a school assignment. <laughs> and so I, I was a big reader and really enjoyed writing at a young age. And, you know, I went to grad school because the only thing I enjoyed in, or what I enjoyed more than anything as an undergrad studying literature was uh, tutoring and helping people learn to write. And so I went to grad school with the idea of becoming a teacher. And I went through a whole program to learn how to teach composition. And my first job after grad school was actually as a technical writer, where I was writing policies and procedures where I had to be concise. And so I've had oh, a lucky and long ex history of writing professionally um, in a lot of different settings. And whether it's responding to art in the form of literature or in terms of how do you find the most effective way of getting people to understand abstract concepts. Wow. I mean, I wow. literally I, wrote procedures for how wow. to close affordable housing yeah. loans for a long time. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Gosh, your, your, your depth of, uh, of experience in many different fields has, has always surprised me. I actually didn't know a couple of those pieces. I didn't know that you had uh, uh, a degree in composition. I, I knew your well, undergrad the degree was is in literature, but I did a, oh, literature. Okay, it was a certificate. It was a certificate program on top of that for, okay. uh, I wrote about Salman Rushdie. That was actually my, uh, the master's oh, wow. thesis. Oh, no kidding. I never yeah, read any of Metaphor this. in uh, Midnight's Children. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a hilarious book and a wonderful read. I highly recommend it. Oh, my, my. Well, I, I remember years ago when we were uh, studying with Boone, and I think a couple of times I, I stayed with you at, at your apartment uh, uh -huh. in, 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 your, in your spare bedroom. And uh, uh, it was great to have a place to land because uh, back then I was a potter. I, I had trouble affording hotel rooms. You know, it was, <laughs> it was, a, pretty, uh, it was a pretty narrow existence. But Potter um, and but poverty I, sound I, similar, don't they? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. I mean, there's some that, that do really, really well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, some of my colleagues, I went to school for ceramics and, and, and uh, knew many uh, potters who, who, who did a great job. Um, but the thing that always amazed me about your house and what you were doing there, and you, you had... You were definitely a reader. I mean, that was something that really struck me. You had millions of books, um, really interesting books, not just books, but really, really interesting books. And you had one of these kind of lectern-like things that you would put on top of a table. It was like on your, your, your kitchen table. And you would open a book and it, it had this little, do you still have this? And it, it had this little, little uh, piece of wood strip at the bottom so the book wouldn't slide off. It was on an angle. And so you could be like flipping through the pages while you're like eating your cereal. Or <laughs> at least that's what I meant. I never saw you doing this. But it was obviously for a book. It was, you were always engaged with reading. And then there were, in a corner you had a piano. And you gave you this long yes. lecture about um, uh, Gould and, and you played a little bit. And I, I felt like I was in the presence of a polymath. I mean, you, you, you had a lot of ability in a whole bunch of different areas. Um, Gould and bonsai. Yeah. And it comes through. I mean, it, <laughs> I, I think it comes through in your, in, 
in, in the lack of a need to impress in, in, in using extraneous language. And, um, and I think that's one of the reasons that, that your blog is so popular. And I know it's going to be one of the reasons that this book is going to continue in its current popularity. And I think it's, a, it's, a, it's classic, I, actually. <laughs> I've, well, I've, um, I, I've sought for a long time to tell um, newcomers, you know, or, or somebody would ask me, hey, um, you know, a friend of mine just got a bonsai and uh, do, um, do, do what, where do I go? What, how can I help uh, my friend? And uh, I've, I've had a, a difficulty other than sending them uh, to blogs and maybe some videos, finding a, a book that I recommend. Um, and in the day, you know, there, there were some, there were some good, good books, but we have different information now and, and we yeah. needed a book yeah. that was like up to date um, and concise and, and not overwhelming for somebody who is just getting in. And your book hits it right on the head. Well, thank you. It was a, yeah, it was a, it was a really fun target and it's funny in hindsight, the whole thing was an awesome exercise to go through. I think I learned a lot about writing or what it means to be an editor. We can go into that later too, but I do want to clarify this, this, I would love to live in the house you just described. You made it sound so romantic. <laughs> All of these great books and the piano and sitting around talking about Glenn Gould, which I still do, I, I will admit. But, <laughs> but the lectern was a box of Kleenex and uh, two, you know, the, ba the cardboard backing in a lined paper pad. <laughs> it was two of those cardboard backings that I had propped up against the Kleenex box. And yeah, my girlfriend made fun of me, fun of me forever for having this and made me get rid of it, actually. And okay, what I would how, do how is... memory changes things. I don't remember that at all. I well, you wouldn't have being... seen the Kleenex box. You would have just seen <laughs> oh, okay, this okay. brown, which is why it looked like wood. It was cardboard. And what I would do is, that's true, uh, three meals a day, I would eat always reading. And it was always magazines. Oh. And I remember at the time uh, I was, I was reading Atlantic part. and Harper's cover to cover. And I, it's funny, I still read both. And uh, yeah. that's what I was always reading during uh, meals when I was on my own. That's so funny. Oh, gosh. Gosh. Uh, yeah, I've always been impressed by the Atlantic. It's just incredibly in-depth uh, uh, articles and reporting. Really interesting both of articles. those are uh, treasures. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, they're mm -hmm. just, they're great. Yeah. Um, yeah, Glenn Gould. I still remember <laughs> Glenn Gould. Luckily, I, I mean, moved I, on from Glenn I, Gould. There's more to life than Gould, but I do have. A, oh, you have? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, my, my girlfriend taught me that there are more instruments than just piano. And uh, oh, wow. Now I can <laughs> talk at equally great length about such wonderful figures as whether it's uh, Mahler or Wagner or uh, you name it. And I can. Oh, wow. I can now name many of the great violin concertos as I should. So, oh gosh! <laughs> well, not only that, I mean, you went on to learn Japanese, uh, so that on your trips to Japan, you could, you could converse. And uh, I remember, you know, uh, struggling. I, this was years ago. I don't, I don't remember if I was in an apprenticeship at this point or not. But I was trying to make some kind of communication with somebody at the vendor area of the green club and and off in a corner you were having a 20 minute conversation with someone else <laughs> i felt deeply underwater it was <laughs> that's a, feel, um, if you knew enough japanese to know how poorly i know it you'd feel a lot better 
<laughs> yeah, I, it must have been before my apprenticeship. I was able to get by, you know, once uh, uh, once I was, you know, kind of needed to swim. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the uh, the chit chat, I think you had gone into the chit chat where you can talk about, you know, changing out the wood floor in the house or the, you know, oh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I, I hadn't uh, uh, ever really reached that level. I think I kind of stopped at the uh, uh, bonsai uh, uh, language. Bonsai uh, proficiency. Absolutely. Bonsai proficiency. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. I need to work on my bonsai proficiency <laughs> because that's the probably the number one thing. I, I've Actually, late, lately I've been trying to study some more because when I go to Japan, yeah. by far, my top priority is to speak with growers, to visit new gardens, find yeah. out how they mm -hmm. get the results they make and because I want us to be able to make more trees you know we can't just keep digging them up because um, there's a lot of different kinds of bonsai and things we need yeah. to do with them and so I'm really keen on figuring out ways mm. we can make them mm. Mm. yeah right so um getting back to uh to, to books um do you have another book in mind yeah, I do. I have a couple different books in mind. And um, one of them I've actually, I've already created the table of contents. I've already kind of created, oh, yeah. I know exactly who it's going to be for and how it's going to work. Um, it's just a matter of deciding if I really want to start waking up at five in the morning again to write it. <laughs> and yeah, the one thing choice. I'll say about it is the, the goal is, of the book is to help people figure out on their own how they can be kind of independently successful with bonsai. Mm. And the reason for this is what I found is we now, I think, have just awesome resources in terms of videos, in-person classes, online resources, online classes. We have tons of great things we can recommend to people depending on their interest. You've done an online course. I'm looking to do one of those as well. But what I'm finding is that just as the books fell into a lot of common traps, a lot of these other resources fall into the trap of providing people with recipes. Do what I say. Here's how you do this. Here's when you do this. And right, right. what I'm finding is, mm -hmm. and this is something I would not have learned without writing a blog that has readership in quite a wide variety of places, uh, is well, when is your spring? When does your tree go dormant? Does your tree go dormant? Um, how do I know if my tree is healthy? How do I know if it's ready for this new phase of development? And I would love to create a resource that's more of a guide to give people starting points to know where they are with their trees, some suggestions for what techniques might be appropriate depending on where they are with their trees, and then some kind of signposts that they can refer to, to know whether or not they can kind of evaluate their own success with what they've done with their own trees. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, there's, there's your education background coming through. I, I, I believe uh, that I, well, certainly in the, in, in this, in, in the States to, to some degree, uh, fairly heavily in Japan, once, uh, you know, once you get into the uh, high school and whatnot, um, and much of the education is kind of paint by number. It doesn't really teach you how to think. It it, it teaches you data, um, uh, and uh, and and that system doesn't really help you much later in life when you encounter a situation where the, that data doesn't apply. Um, so uh, that sounds like a really useful project. 
Yeah, I like. And I don't know if anyone other than me wants that book to exist, but it's the same thing. You know, part of me finds it really. (laughs) Part of me finds it very easy to identify a technique and tell you everything I know about that technique. You know, here's how I found this. Here's how it works. Uh, Here is what you can expect. You know, expect Y if you do X, and then it's up to you to decide if X or A or B or Omega is a better approach for your tree. But I've always found it more interesting. For me, the sign of a successful workshop is when someone can go home and do something they couldn't do that morning. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not that they took home a tree that looks better because then I'm just, right. I, I, I know yeah. I can work on their trees and that's fun and I think it has its place. It's a big part of how I learn. But mm-hmm. far more interesting to me to watch people do things that they couldn't do before, to see the light bulb go off in um, above their heads. That's what mm-hmm. I get a kick out of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard to give, a, you know, it, it's hard to give a package. It's like, okay, here, you take this away and, um, and that'll, that'll serve all your needs. <laughs> but, but, but to give, uh, you know, to at least be able to throw uh, a better set of tools in that package yeah. is, is a really worthy endeavor. It's yeah. interesting when we think of different criteria for success is criteria for success. Right. I made your tree look beautiful or is the criteria of success, you now understand how to pick the front better. You now know how to form an apex. Yeah. And there's, as, as you said, there's, there's a place for, I, I do the work on your trees. There's, you know, our community yeah. is, it, it is multifaceted. It has, has different uh, sub communities. Um, there is, as, as you said, that, you know, the person who has one tree, uh, there's, uh, I just wrote an essay about this, oh, <laughs> about the, but the people, you know, call you up and, and say, uh, you know, I had this tree and it's, you know, we, it was given to us as a, a housewarming gift 30 years ago and it's always done well and this uh-huh. year doesn't look so good and we might need a little help. I mean, they never repotted it. They've barely fertilized it. They've, you know, oh, I know <laughs> um, that and the tree is fine. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're out there. They actually, you know, these are the people who didn't kill their first tree. They just, yeah. you know, whatever you know, the stars align and they just, just every, everything sort of works for them. Um, there's that group. And then there's a group uh, that, that you and I really engage with in, 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 in teaching and trying to give them a toolbox so that they can, they can help themselves and make their own uh, uh, decisions that, that go beyond paint by number, but, but reach into the creative. Um, and then there's a whole other set of the community um, that have bonsai. This, they, they, they might be you know, the, the biggest thing in their lives outside of their careers. And they're as engaged with bonsai as anybody, but they don't touch the trees. Uh, they, they water, they fertilize. And, um, and then people like you and I help them uh, maintain beyond that. So it, there's at least three big, uh, and, and maybe there's more, I, I might be oversimplifying, but there's there's big different group. And then there's the parts that are part of clubs. And, and then there's uh, people who would never be part of, a, a, of an organization. So that, that, that splinters there a little bit as well. I think that's a useful trifurcation. Yeah. You have the practitioners, the appreciators, and the initiates. Oh, wow. That's, a, and what's that's a nice... interesting. Is... <laughs> that's very well put. Nice. And they it. overlap really well in that I've known, and this is what was so great about Boone's organization, which I know you're really familiar with, in that a lot of people had the trees that they played with, but they really appreciated outstanding material and that they would have 
Boone in that case helped them with that material. And so they knew it's like they really loved interacting with trees that were better than they knew they could maintain them. And that's where these neat relationships kicked right. in. So mm-hmm. I don't think of any of these categories as exclusive. Um, ultimately, I want there to be more beautiful trees in the world. And so mm-hmm. I think of everything I do as a piece of the puzzle is, you know, I'd love to be able to go to more shows with more beautiful trees. And it takes a lot of different things to do that. I could just make beautiful trees and ignore the rest. But mm-hmm. if I can help make an army of people who either understands what a good tree look like or how to make a good tree, I know that at some point in the future, there will be more fun trees for us to look at. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, you, you approach your, your work with bonsai with a, a pretty clear philosophy. That's, uh, it's that's been, for like 20 years now. Impressive. It's really fun. Yeah. Nice. And it's great because uh, it's, it's selfish cool. in that I literally want to see more beautiful trees <laughs> and not just trees that I made. Cause well, you're, I you're not inadvertently helping people. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But I will say it's an enlightened self-interest. Guiding that, that's Lincoln's uh, altruistic uh, puzzle. Do you remember that one? I, no. I forgot what it was. Yeah. There was something, you know, he's like, uh, yeah, if, if I get out of my carriage to help somebody else who's stuck in the mud or something, I, I, ah, I yes, if yes. I'm getting this wrong, it's like, it, it's not actually altruistic because it makes me feel better. It, or right. Something along those lines. And it was one of those philosophical puzzles, you know, that you had yeah. to keep, keep apart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, anyway. <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. But but it's interesting, you know, you know what parts of this, uh, of anything that we do, you know, start as something that's a little bit selfish uh, out of curiosity or, or something. And then as we dig into it selfishly, we realize that actually we can be of benefit to others. Um, and it's funny. Uh, and I think selfish, I wish we had a better word. It's less yes, selfishness yeah. and more, it's a deep enthusiasm for engagement in something. That's really what it is. And hmm. I find it fascinating to look at interesting trees and, and I'll admit I'm terrible. I was at Kokofu earlier this year in February in, in Japan, and I love wandering around the exhibit. And it's funny. I'll, <laughs> you, you, after a while you find the times when there are fewer people and you, can just kind of buzz around to different trees and look inside of it. And whenever I would see people, and I've even yeah, done this, yeah. occasionally I've even started conversations with Japanese people, which is probably horribly embarrassing, but I will find someone looking at a tree and I'll, and I'll think, ooh, that, that's one of my favorite trees in here. And I'll just walk over and say, oh, did you look at the uh, underneath the canopy to see what's going on inside? Oh, no, I haven't. And you'll see the person crane their head and look underneath and oh, wow, I didn't expect that at all because Mm. some trees are just tied in knots in the middle and we see these boring, what people are Mm. categorizing as boring helmets on the outside, which are actually incredibly finessed and very finely crafted, even though I know that's super not trendy these days. But on the inside, there were some absolutely (laughs) fascinating, see, you know, there are these great decisions that have been made that have got us to that point. And it's- You know, it's, it's like me in a museum. I'm staring two inches away from the painting. I'm walking 20 feet away and squinting my eyes. I'm finding all these ways to find what's the form, what are the value, what are the hues, what are the different things the painting's bringing, and what are the brush strokes to provide this great effect. Bonsai is the exact same way. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the great benefits of, of being um, in person at a show. Um, one of the things we're missing this year, but, yeah. um, but uh, you know, traveling to one of these shows where 
exceptional trees. Uh, there, there's several shows in, in, in Europe that are absolutely uh, unbelievable um, as well. And, and to be able to crane your head and see it in a way that you didn't in a photo book um, that, that, that can lead you to um, denigrating the helmet. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and teach you. Yeah, it's funny. Just hearing you say these things reminds me of when I take pictures of people in exhibits, I often prefer the pictures where someone really is craning their head and mm -hmm. trying to puzzle out what mm -hmm. makes the tree look the way it does or what makes the tree look compelling. And mm -hmm. I think I'll mm -hmm. always enjoy talking with non-bonsai people about bonsai because they tend to have pretty good insights about the trees not knowing what they're looking at. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it was as you were saying about the craning of the head. It it re reminded me that in at least some circles in Japan, that's considered a bit impolite. And yet, you mm -hmm. know, the bonza professionals are craning their heads and yeah. <laughs> peeking underneath the skirts of the tree. And um, uh, and I I think we should. I, I mean, well, that's sort of uh, that's that's not going to be impolite to most Westerners. <laughs> Yeah, I remember my very first morning in Kokofu, yeah. back my first yeah. trip to Japan in 1999, it was packed. And it was, um, for those who haven't been, the exhibit is laid out in a way where there is a single path you follow and there are often um, those little tr you know, pedestrian traffic guides that you follow and you go up one side of the aisle right. and down the other side of the aisle and you actually walk through all of the large trees and then all of the medium trees and then all of the small trees, period. That's just how you see Kokofu. And in the old days when it was really, really busy, you would literally, it's just like, imagine taking one inch step, 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 step. And then you get in front of a tree, you turn your head 90 degrees and then you turn back forward, step, 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 step. And it's just like that for the two hours it takes to get through it all, which that's a horrible experience. It's really hard, but you only even have the chance to look at it straight on and that's it. Have you been there in those really busy times like that? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Before my apprenticeship, I went over with um, a group of people. I think Boone was part of that group and, and that was incredibly busy. It, was, it yeah. wasn't much better than seeing a photograph. Um, yeah, it's other funny. than sculptural scale, that yep. was the only benefit you get, and that is actually a pretty powerful benefit. Um, I still remember the first pine I saw on that trip. I still remember the first chojubai I saw on that trip. The oh. scale, just you make you hold your arms apart and think, yeah, that's how big the tree was. That you don't get in yeah. a book. Right, 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 and and a sculptural scale changes our relationship with the object. Um, the, it, it kind of places, if it's big enough in particular, it really, uh, places you in your place. <laughs> um, and, and the emotion changes and, and that's, that's one of the biggest problems with our beautiful exhibition books, you know, from the cook of show, for example, when, when you have your large trees, only twice as big as the Shoheen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that'll really screw up any possible accurate uh well accurate is maybe the wrong word but um but true experience of of the work 
I could not agree more. And that we need to do an entire episode on, which would be squaring off Shoheen versus large trees. As I often argue, there is a really big difference between them. And you put... yes. You put it's your almost a different art, art form. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In many ways, yeah. it is a different art form. And I think it all comes down to the emotional response we have based on the size of the thing. It actually, yeah. I would yeah. argue it's a thing. I think that'd be a fun thing to argue. Maybe I should write an essay on that as well. That'd I'll wait for your next book. I'm sure it'll be in there. Excellent. <laughs> Another interesting, just to sort of a comparative thing is deciduous and conifer, because I think how we create uh, deciduous is so different that it's very nearly a different art form. Um, Couldn't agree that, more that would on be that another too. that that would be another another one for a, maybe a round table. <laughs> yeah, and I think the abstract for that would be the you could look at the just just to take two basic camps for how you create. There's a third I'd say, but two basic camps of how you create either bulky deciduous trees or non-bulky. I'll just keep it that simple. Um, ends up creating com- trees with completely different feelings and let alone the whole concept of the uh, characteristics trees take on based on the relationship with the people who are creating or caring for those trees. And yes. that's also super out of fashion right now, which is kind of beyond me because that's always <laughs> been my very favorite part of bonsai. And uh, I tried to make that come through in the book. But I think uh, yeah, deciduous yeah. is your ideal. You you can't not engage with that aspect of bonsai when you're looking at deciduous trees. Mm. Mm. Really mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. You, um, it, it, it's a it's a tricky dance uh, when you're building a deciduous tree uh, because you kind of have to look into the future that doesn't exist yet, and that's. So much different than, let's say, you had a collected conifer, um, where something you can finish in a day. You don't, you don't have that other piece, that 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 unknown future, or the future you're trying to create. That it doesn't, that that's not other piece of the puzzle that's there. And it, frankly, in some ways, creating good deciduous is harder. Well, um, so I'm though that extra piece. Having grown conifers from scratch, it's that same extra piece. It just looks different. Conifers, that's right. If you're starting from scratch. Young conifers. Yes, absolutely. It still includes it. Yep. If you're willing, I'd actually like to go into this a little bit because it ties to something about, um, something I thought a lot about for a beginner book, which is a lot of times people ask me, you know, what's hard about the book or, you know, what went into the first chapter? And it makes me want to ask people, okay, what does a bonsai look like? I don't know if bonsai is what makes something look like a bonsai and you start getting into these really abstract, you get really abstract really fast. Oh, it's an asymmetric triangle. Great. So like Mount Fuji, but one side of Mount Fuji is bigger than the other. You're like, yeah. And it just, those phrases only work when you know it. And like other things, if you, you know it when you see it right. to some degree. And so before you know to see it, it's tricky. You were just talking about <laughs> it's hard to make right, something right. that's not there yet. And I have found that probably the single hardest thing to teach is how to get people to see something before it's there. And I 
kind of purposefully didn't put that in the book, but I did try to provide a ton of cues as setup for that being the next step. And I'd love huh. to hear, or maybe we can talk about that for a little bit. How do you mm. get people to see what's not there mm. when you're oh. making a tree from scratch or developing something? You know, that's so interesting. <laughs> I have found... Uh, much to my surprise, this year now, how long have I been teaching bonsai? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I still think the best way to learn bonsai is in person. Yeah. However, I have been so surprised that in teaching this online course, the seasonal light uh, series of courses, that in flattening things to the two dimensions has allowed me to present conceptual information that students then. Can grasp easier and apply to 3D, where I was really, really struggling to, to to share with them these concepts in 3D in person. We talked about the light bulb over the over the head, you know, you know, seeing the light go on, you know, in their eyes was rare. In uh, and and I see it happening more on <laughs> on these Zoom calls, doing these presentations, because there's something about flattening. There, there's something about taking one element out <laughs> yeah. to uh, the depth confuses things. And, and we, we have a lot of difficulty processing um, 3d in, in our, I think sculptural forms are incredibly difficult. So I think that would be my first answer. What, what I've done is I've started to take videos of, uh, so we're talking about young plants. We, in fact, we did this this time for the fall seasonal light. We took a, a, a young Itoagao juniper, which we've been growing for, you know, from a cutting for seven years. So it's this scrappy little tree, right? It's got a, you know, now it's got a two inch trunk and it's a, a lot of information in it from the wiring that we've done, but it looks like a mop. How mm -hmm. do you, how, how do you, you know, explain is the wrong word, but how do you share taking that to uh, step uh, two, which is taking out the things you don't want? And the easiest way I could do that is, is these in the round videos. So I would, uh, I, I would just literally have, I think John was, was being Vanna White as he was <laughs> turning the turntable really slowly. So we got an image of the, uh, uh, of the tree um, uh, after work. So you can see the choices that were made. Um, but, but even that is better than 3D. I mean, it's two dimensions, even though the video, you, and when you're turning it, you're getting the sense of 3D. <laughs> but, uh, but photographs are really powerful. I can share, I, I can share design concepts much more uh, concretely in two dimensions. Um, I can do this abstraction that you're talking about, um, even taking it away from tree. Um, one of my favorite uh, wiring exercises is, is is to take the uh, I think I think we learned this from uh, from uh, uh, Daichan. Um, <laughs> we talked about you know cutting a branch off and then you put the branch in a um, in a vise yeah, and you yeah. wire that branch and then you take a photograph of it. At least this is what I should suggest to you take a photograph of that and then you take all the wire off and you try to do it simpler still mm -hmm. with good anchors and so, so so you're cleaning up your your technique all you're thinking about is wire planning and you're divorcing this whole idea from a tree so that's what i'm trying to do with design and in making these early choices that are sort of t taking stabs at at at, at uh, moving toward a future you can't see yet yeah um, it's, a, it's a real challenge a real challenge but i'm i'm very surprised that two dimensions 
is helping me <laughs> share some of these ideas with students. Well, it's funny. A lot of a lot of things come up from that, and the flattening one is interesting. I think when you're looking at a tree, we process it as I see the tree. What? What do you want me to see? I see the tree. It's there. I see it. <laughs> it's it's like I think I think our brains are actively engaged in identifying that it's a tree or that we're seeing it. It's like, well, yeah, that's the right branch. That's the left branch. I see that. But how do you know where they go? How do you know what they do? And I think the flattening might help us or help free us up to think of it in a more abstract term where, well, should the branch be here? Should the branch be there? Not I see it or is it there? It's more like, oh, it's let's aim for this kind of form or that kind of form. What's funny is I know that none of us learned these ways. And one thing I know that we know is effective is you actually don't explicitly teach any of these things. And what you do is you just give people a ton of exposure, you respect their time, and you have them right. spend as much time as possible hands on the trees, not talking, not listening, not reading. They can do that on their own. You have mm -hmm. them hands on and over repeated exposure and a repeated experience. That's when they start to figure it out. And by giving people trees they don't need to worry about, I find the learning can happen a lot faster. Because if it's their precious, they don't want to mess mm -hmm. it up. If you hand them something and say, your goal is to learn, not to make it beautiful or to do X, Y, Z. You really want to just make it their goal to learn. It frees them up. And then having done it, ah, oh, I bent that branch over and now it's the top of the tree. Ah, gotcha. And you just do that enough and enough and enough. And some people will happen to learn. And I think what we're trying to do is, well, how would you teach this intermediary step? And it's, it's, it's really interesting. I'll, I guess the proof will be yeah. in the pudding is, do you make more better bonsai students with the, the approach that we learned from or the one that right. we're sharing with other people? Time will tell. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Might be an integration of of uh, several different modes of looking at something. Um, yeah. But seeing <laughs> things that aren't there, I think that's one of the magic bits of bonsai. And it's why I like growing trees from scratch so much. I think it's really interesting. Oh, it's and, a real challenge. Uh, a yeah. lot of failure. <laughs> I mean, uh, th th this is where uh, kind of the refuse pile, <laughs> the ones that didn't make it, you know, or, or, or try and find a home for it. Uh, the ones that didn't quite reach your your goals uh, of, uh, of, uh, of aesthetics. Um, well, what's it, funny is if you so keep easy. going, they often yeah. get good. That's true too. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you keep kind of fighting with it, <laughs> uh, maybe that's the wrong word, but, but change the game a little bit. So if you were working for a certain size, I think I've made this point before on the, on the podcast, but you grow it into the next larger size. Um, I love then that you tip. totally change the map. Uh, I mean, suddenly, you know, the map doesn't end at the borders of this country. It includes, you know, the next three countries. And, 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 and then you, you develop richness through that. I've been sharing that tip of yours a lot with people, and it gets really handy. It's like, oh, well, the first branch is up too high. Not if it's five inches taller. <laughs> right, 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 right. Speaking of five. Okay, going back to the book. Briefly. Ah. Oh, this, <laughs> what? Is, this is good. <laughs> Is there anything that you include uh, in the little book of bonsai if you had had five more pages? You know, I don't know that I, 
that's a good question. I don't know what I would include if I had five more pages. There are a couple of things I might have included even within the same amount of space I had. What I'm finding is it's really mm. interesting. As people mm -hmm. interact with the book, I'm mm. going up not against what they should or shouldn't be learning, but what they expect to be learning. Oh, mm. okay. And I'm finding when you're at the first step of the journey, that's far more important. And I think the reason for the success of these very bland how-to crafty books is they feel complete. The overwhelming number of hundreds of bland photos convey completeness of the topic. Oh, look, there's 50 trees in here. Oh, this one has a hundred different species. I'm going to get that one. And you're uh -huh. automatically satisfied because you can tell yourself you bought the right book because it is so complete. And oh. so what you're saying is you've ended your book with an incomplete sentence. Well, and the, uh, that like last that. sentence, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah. I want the reader to kind of complete it in different directions. Yeah, and so, you know, I've it. got, I've got feedback that yeah, really I didn't, interesting. that I could have said more about soil composition, which is deeply ironic <laughs> because I'd feel comfortable pretty much having a discussion about different kinds of soils used anywhere in Japan or the United States. I'd happily have that conversation with anybody. It's not that I don't know that topic really well. But when mm -hmm. I think of my target audience of people with zero to one trees, right. poor soil yeah. or soil choice is the cause of death in close to 0% of cases. Mm -hmm. But when you start yeah, joining mean, a club right. and learning about bonsai, it's <laughs> well, the alpha gonna... and omega. Oh my God, soil this, soil that. But right. the start, right. no, soil is not killing trees. <laughs> not watering it when you go on vacation is killing trees. I would agree with that because the, you know, that one person that we were talking about that's had their tree for 30 years and there's a surprising number of them out there. Uh, Bad soil to start with suburbs. and no repotting. They didn't change out. Yeah, they didn't change out the soil. They're not yeah. using Akadama. They're, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So okay. it, that's a good question about okay. what I would add in there. Probably mm -hmm. it'd be fun to just... Um, enjoy the process a little bit more. And I wanted to give a round overview of the different things you can do with bonsai. And so whether we did a second from scratch, step-by-step -step tree, or just do it far more fully, make that the bulk of the book where, okay, how did, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how was the decision made to remove this branch or that? How did we move from that? And that's actually kind of a funny story. The step-by-step, uh, the initial styling of the tree. Mm -hmm. There's a couple funny things about that. Uh, right in the middle of the book, it's uh, we take a two-gallon field-grown juniper, um, grown by my oh, friend yes. Dylan, who did a just amazing job uh, growing that tree. And uh, it makes it look so simple. You just take a tree, find a nice angle, cut off branches that you don't need, maybe gin what's left, just wire everything yeah. else by more or less pointing it down. And all of a sudden it looks beautiful. And then look at that. We repottered it all at the same time. So <laughs> I really yes. wish we could. Anyway, there's a lot of yeah. blank space yeah. on the page. It looks really simple. But so right. two funny right. things are going on there. A, I wish we could provide a lot more <laughs> intermediary steps into how to make those decisions. But I also know from uh. reading even Kinbone in Japan, it's really hard to take pictures of individual branches because the trees are so busy and it's hard. Yeah. And, and this is thin enough. I see you, you know, you have one photograph where it's shooting down on a branch so that you can see the structure of it. Mm -hmm. And 
I made them add those two photos, yeah. actually. Oh, you did? Okay, <laughs> the good. gin close-up and the wired branch, those were actually a subsequent photo shoot. Mm, now, this day important. was a great example in that I'm lucky in that Daisaku spends a few weeks with me every year as his home base when he's in the Bay Area these days. Right. And I was busy preparing other trees for the photo shoot. And I said, hey, Daisaku, do you want to work on this tree for the book? Because... Oh. Yeah. I want the book to be as good as possible. And why not have one of the world's best people work on a tree? <laughs> and so Daisaku yeah. did all the work on this. And I credit mm -hmm. him in the back of the book, but he did the work on that tree while I was probably helping the photographer do a whole bunch of other trees and prepping some of the other trees in the book on that same day because we had limited time. Yeah. And yeah. it came out just fantastic. Yeah. And so the joke That's a is... great vignette. Yeah, it's yeah great. so can we work on the tree and repot it and do all this work at the same time? Well, it depends, as you know. I wouldn't recommend a beginner do this extent of work on a single day. And right. I wish we'd spelled that out a little more. But when I yeah. asked Daisaku about it, uh -huh. he said, oh, probably won't die. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. He said, oh, just... <laughs> Just put it in a greenhouse and mist it every two hours. And I said, oh, that makes sense. It's a juniper. I'll put it in a greenhouse and mist it for a couple of weeks. And he said, no, not for a couple of weeks, until spring, <laughs> which was months away at the time. And I thought, okay, I'll just put this juniper under mist in a greenhouse for several months, and then it might not die. Yeah. Oh, Coincidentally, gosh. I had just installed a misting system in a greenhouse, and I set hey. it in there. And you know no. what? It, it didn't lose a branch. It was yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've since <laughs> seen him bare root junipers, removing 90% of the soil, cut off two thirds mm -hmm. of the branches. He's extremely mm -hmm. careful about what to cut, but you just put it back mm -hmm. on the bench, throw it in the garden. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. If right time of year, the, the right careful decision-making, there's all kinds of things you can do that you shouldn't do. Um, if you have the decision-making uh, in the aftercare, that's the biggest part. Yeah. And that's why it, we don't recommend this kind of thing, but it can and be you're done. exactly right. It definitely can be done and I'll never recommend yeah. it because right, it literally right. comes down to which branches and roots you're cutting and how you're literally handling it while you do the work and how you care for it afterwards. That's kind of the life or death, death difference. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Um, uh, what's that? <laughs> That'll so, be for the next book. The next book. Right. Right. Yeah. Daichan. Boy, that'd be amazing to get Daichan involved with uh, a book where he's doing, uh, like the majority of the wiring or something. <laughs> be an incredible book. Well, so that's actually part <laughs> of my amazing. secret plans is I want All right. I want to actually that exact example. I want to uh, so those who don't know, Bonsai Today number one is a wiring guide. And it's about 85% of a good starting point. And I want to rebuild that resource with Daisaku. Mm. And maybe even I'll get a separate photographer so I can be focused on what we're shooting. He can be focused on doing it. And then someone else can be focused on creating the images we need to show all that. And the two or three of us can do that as a team. But yeah, I, that, that's my secret plan. I want to uh, make that happen. Great. I, I think that'd it. be a, such a valuable resource. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Would that be in book form or would you e-publish in some way? Good question. Based that. on yeah. what comes out, I do want some 
photograph-based resource to come of that. Uh, I don't think video is the best for references because it's hard to, okay, which video is this in? At what point was that in? I think video is the best for showing overall processes and conveying the 3D and uh, for allowing the conversation that naturally happens along with Mm -hmm. the work. But I think as a resource, and I'm always, I I love resources. And I think that does best in uh, some kind of other resource. So whether it's online or in a book Mm -hmm. form, who knows, but I want to start designing. Actually, I need to make a shot list for that resource. And then next time I have the time with him, we'll identify a tree to sacrifice and cut some branches off and wire them up and see what we can do to make it work. (laughs) Yeah, let me know if you're cutting any big branches off uh, your best trees, because that'd be a really good example. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. I'll call you up. <laughs> Perfect. I'll be up there. Oh, wing, wing you out here. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. So um, the little book of bonsai, it, this is a substantial little book in the hand uh, for a little one. Uh, it's a hardcover book. Um, will there be a soft cover? I, I like the hardcover, but uh, I'm curious um, whether there'll be a, a oh, soft cover. That's an absolutely fantastic question. That's kind of on the publisher end of things. So I have no yeah. idea whatsoever. Considering that it's already $15 mm-hmm. cover price. It's pretty low. It's really low and it's already competing with more expensive soft covers um, as it is. And so I don't know Mm -hmm. what their plan is. I don't don't even know how many they printed. I need to get an answer from them about that. I'm curious. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of them have shipped, but I don't know what, how, how many are sitting in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah. So where can you find it then? Is it, I mean, is this available uh, everywhere? Yeah, it's available. Feels like it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All and right. so Stone Lantern has it. I have okay. it on my website. It's on all of the online yep. vendors. It's on Powell's book online. Yep. So all of the places Powell's where you're great. likely to see books. It's, Excellent. It's in, Do you know Bookshop? Are you familiar with the Yeah, it's in bookshop? the bookshop chain and it's in, uh, it's actually in a ton of cool. actual physical yeah. stores. Whether or not the stores are open, I don't know, but there are thousands yeah. of copies in stores across the country. Oh, yeah. Across the yeah. world, really. Like I, we've got resellers in Australia, in South Africa. I've Not seen sure. them pop up in different yeah. places in Europe. So uh, there are, oh, yeah. they are out there. Great. That, that is great. So I have, I have uh, really one last question, which, uh, uh, which you popped yesterday, which is why is writing so hard? It's funny. I felt doomed ever since I asked you that question yesterday and I was thinking about it. I had a really pat a answer. Great question. I, I, you know, I touched on some great of it question. earlier when I said things like, okay, mm-hmm. how do you care for a bonsai? I'm not mm-hmm. going to tell you what kind of tree I have or where I live, but right. just tell me, how do I care for it? <laughs> and yeah. you know, how do you do that in a concise, or that? that or that exercise of what does a bonsai look like? Like, that's a good, genuine question. Knowing the different schools of thought about how to style a tree, it's, I find that just challenging to come up with in awkward words, let alone in a nice, tight, um, Mm. tight manner. Um, You know, one thing I could say is by way of an answer is I learned what it means to be an editor by doing this book. And I realized I'm not an editor. (laughs) The questions that Lisa provided while I was working on this book were so good and practical. It was terrible because I could never get mad. I'd say, darn it, 
you're right. What would someone who doesn't know the first thing about this or that do? And just knowing, because she knows her garden stuff and she knows what a generic reader will bring to the book. And I'd say that's one thing that makes it hard is being your ideal reader and having that person in mind. It's the most basic, obvious stuff in the world, but uh-huh. I'm used to writing to the blog audience. And I, I also write starting with the photographs where, um, what have I been uh-huh. doing lately? How can I make that into a teachable moment? And so that's how I do a blog post. I've got photographs. Right. What could I teach from those photographs? And then I, mm-hmm. I more or less, fill in the gaps between the photos with words. And this Mm -hmm. was such a different project where it's, what's the idea I want to convey? What's the most effective way to convey that? And now how can we then fill in the space between the words with a photograph? Right. The words kind of come first, which is why it was sort of uh, yeah. curious or ironic that you kind of needed a shot list first. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but, but certainly, you know, the, the fo- it definitely comes across the photographs are, are secondary to the information, uh, supportive of the information. Um, although it doesn't appear that way when you're looking at the, at, at the book. Um, um, but, uh, but clearly um, they, they are illustrative um, rather than the other way around. Yeah, and I think that's owing yeah. to the layout. Again, Isabel did an awesome job with the layout. She did. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's uh, yeah, I it's funny. I think I enjoy the challenge of it. I feel like the book mm-hmm. is eighty-five, ninety percent of what I want it to be, and I think it might take double the effort to eke out the next five or ten percent of quality. Mm. <laughs> and so I think I learned that it's really hard to determine what effort goes into the book. And I was keenly aware of this as I was reading the radically changing drafts of your book, which just changed so dramatically from draft to draft. I don't know that mine went through such a radical transformation as much as it was more an issue of, that's just poor, poor writing. Well, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you had such a broad scope. You were were trying to home in on a thousand or not a thousand, but like what? 56 different ideas at the same time. And they were standalone things that together tell a story. Whereas this one was, do we want the focus here or there? Is this Mm -hmm. balance? Do we have our audience in mind here? Which was just completely Mm. different scope. And Mm. I find mm-hmm. effective writing really challenging. And it's one thing I like about Atlantic and Harper's is that mm. you tend to find really good writing in there. And I'm such an appreciator of good writing at any given time. I can tell you mm-hmm. there's kind of two or three writers who I actually really appreciate. So I think of the average mm. Harper's or Atlantic writer as good, but the ones that really get me are like literally the tip, tip top contributors mm. over the course of a year. That's the stuff that I really, really love. Mm. I just knowing what that looks like and knowing so clearly the gap between where I am and what that looks like, that's just a lifelong challenge. It'll be like trying to climb a mountain. Mm-hmm. I know I'll never climb, mm-hmm. but it's it's fun mm-hmm. to be on the mountain. Mm. I've heard I've heard other writers say that to to write well, you have to read um, not well, but read good writing. Um, yeah, good you have books. to see good bonsai yeah. to make good bonsai. Mm-hmm. Same, same process. Yeah. We, that, that, that intuitiveness <laughs> kind of, yeah. kind of comes in. Yeah. Um, so you can find the little book of bonsai nearly anywhere. 
Uh, and this is my recommendation title for anyone thinking about getting a bonsai, the gift for somebody who already has one. And, um, and also it's kind of a crystalline distillation of uh, the major topics in bonsai. And as such, I, I think it's a, it's a great review for the more experience. It's a stellar little book. And thank you so much, Jonas, for sharing your, um, your adventure with creating it. Thank you so much. This was super fun to relive those now quaintly trying memories from the past couple of years. I'm very happy with where we are today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. We'll, uh, we'll see you in another podcast. Cheers. Thanks. on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue. Also, the advertisements are fake. Cool. All righty then. So...